0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 81 of the Weekly Word Podcast. The Weekly Word Podcast is an ultra endurance podcast. And I actually did a talk last week at a, or had a speaking engagement last week at an ultra endurance event in Snow Basin, Utah. And It allowed me or forced me to qualify or explain what ultra endurance truly is to me in this case. That wasn't my topic, but part of the intro, I talked about what ultra endurance really is. And to me, ultra endurance is any event that goes through the night into the next day, where you're seeing the sunset and sunrise in an event while you're still completing or competing or participating or doing or working your way through that event that's a hundred mile run a 50 mile run in some cases in a hard enough environment that's marathon swims that's ultraman things like that where you go multiple days of um an endurance event so I thought that would be a fun way to start this podcast but as you all know part of the weekly word podcast is that it's not fancy production it's not a bunch of advertisement i just tried to provide as much um, information and knowledge and questions that i receive and insights from my training logs of my athletes so that you all can go out and train and apply and simulate and prepare for your own personal endurance adventures um daily weekly um, whether that's in training or whether that's for your events and then moving into even ultra endurance events if that's what you're getting ready for if these tidbits help that's what it's all about fueling hydration mindset nutrition training strategy um post-mortem sort of um, debrief of races and understanding what to look for and how to build your next event things like that so well i have been all over the country and currently the globe in the last few weeks i'm sitting sitting here right now in downtown stockholm sweden recording this because one, I got here early, and I'm going to see some um, family down in Germany uh, later today, and stay down there for a couple of days. But also, as many of you know, I'm here for Attilo Swim One Run World Championships, and yeah, it's a it's a good opportunity to just spend some time here solo and record a weekly word podcast. And I have a ton of topics this week. I mean, there's so much that I can talk about because I've had three weeks of different locations and events and training that I've thought of many, many topics to bring up here today. What's interesting is three weeks ago, I was in Vail and Boulder, Colorado. And oh, was that two weeks ago? No, whatever it was. In Boulder, Colorado, and I was on a run and I was on a famous run up at Magnolia, Mags as they call it, and uh, it's a 14 to 16 mile run, depends on when you turn around, and it's basically at 9 to 10,000 feet. So it's pretty hard, it's pretty rolling, it's a steady run, and my buddy and I um, do this run frequently, but this week he had another running buddy of his local join him, who's a very good runner, sort of uh 15 14 minute 5k type person still uh, uh, to this day and so he was talking to me more about my coaching and my approach and so forth and what came up was an interesting question that i actually have gotten before but i've never related to all of you my athletes and maybe some of you my listeners and that is what my sort of core philosophy is with regards to aerobic fitness. And yes, I have some information about this on the website, but it's more also how I apply it to myself. And you all saw that hopefully with Whistler Ironman a few weeks ago. And that is I want a level of fitness. I want a, a foundation of aerobic fitness that my steady on the easier side of steady, that my athletes easier side of steady not harder side of steady where it's questionable if they can maintain that effort but instead the easier side of steady where they know they can maintain this effort for a very very long time is fast enough or speedy enough or a good enough pace to achieve their goals whether that's in an ironman whether that's in an ultra run whether that's in a marathon, whether it's on the back end of an event, whether that's in an adventure race, whatever it is. I want you all and myself to feel so fit that my steady on the easier side of steady is good enough to achieve my goals. I don't have to go hard. I don't have to have snot coming out of my nose and breathing hard and panting and forcing and willing myself through the event. I want the fitness to be good enough that my steady, my go all day pace is strong enough to make others fall off, to make others tired. Of course, I'm getting fatigued, but I know that my fitness is better than others. That's what I want for other athletes. And that's sort of my endurance philosophy with all this is that you are so prepared and so fit that allows you to make better decisions on event day, that allows you to be smarter about your fueling and your hydration. It's less than a tax on your body. So you're more present, you make sound decisions and you continue to charge forward to do what you need to do to achieve your goals. Now, if that's a placing or a time, Again, we've talked about this on past podcasts that you then have the ability to surge or pick up the pace to go into the snot-nosed, heavy breathing effort for a bit. or If you need to, even the last two, three miles to blow it out, to feel good about your effort and performance of your A race. But yeah, I want my athletes, and that's what he was asking me. And I told him, I want my athletes to have a level of fitness where they're steady on the easier side of steady, is good enough, is fast enough, is successful enough to achieve their goals. So that was an interesting uh, part of that. So I was in Vail two, th- two or three weeks ago. I was in Snow Basin, Utah last week. I was in Tahoe uh, three weeks ago for my Attila prep weekend. Um, and I was in Whistler five weeks ago. So yes, it's been a lot of travel. But the cool thing about it is each one of them had sort of a flow towards what I was doing and what we're getting ready for. And that is, you know, Whistler had a great effect with regards to validating fitness for 10 hours. It was good enough in strong, on a hard course, excuse me, in hot temperatures to be strong enough to win my age group, to win the swim overall and feel connected to my fitness. Was it ideal fitness? No, Um, it's not the cycling fitness I'm familiar with. It's not the running fitness I'm familiar with for Ironman, but that's the specificity I talk about in training that I've not done the work for. i have not specifically trained for Ironman triathlon. That's not something you can just switch over six to eight to 10 weeks um, prior. Um, to, to do at the level I'm talking about of winning um, or, or doing an Ironman at a level that I'm familiar with. Can you switch over six to eight to 12 weeks out? Yes. And still be very successful? Yes. But again, it's defining successful and there's a lot that can happen there. And then I went to Tahoe uh, like 10 days later to do some swim run work with my Attila partner. And we swam and ran. And that was a very good weekend to sort of. Remind me that Attila is not really as complicated as one can make it. We're not going to win it. We are not going to have some earth-shattering fast time, but we're going to have fun and we're going to be prepared and fit and do our best given that day. And hopefully that's a little bit better than last year. That's all I can ask, look for, is to be a little bit better than the previous time we did the event. Because I know more, I prepared a little different and so forth. But in my prep for Attila, I definitely have noticed that I don't need to do that much um, swim run work. My ability and my partner's ability to swim after running and run after swimming frequently has been quite seamless. And therefore, it's more about the time out there, getting ready for 8, 9, 10, 11 hours on our feet and swimming. So from there, it went to Vale and Boulder. I was in Vale to see some clients off before Leadville and meet with them with regards to their last minute prep and strategy and mindset and getting them overall ready to understand not only what an incredible endeavor it is they were taking on and the journey they've been through with regards to prepping for a 100 mile run at above nine to 10,000 feet. But, and they live in Atlanta, so they're sea level people, but also to work with them on the appreciation and the beauty of the race of Leadville, the appreciation of the health and fitness to do this, the growth we're going to from here to a new level of fitness, once you've done a hundred mile run and once you've put your body through 28, 30 hours of moving across terrain in difficult surroundings, in the dark, in the day, at altitude, and so forth, it changes you and it makes you a stronger person mentally, of course, physically but it also applies differently in your soul with regards to how you view what you're able to accomplish and achieve and set your mind to in the future. And I talk to them a lot about that. Of course, a lot of fueling and nutrition and hydration strategy. But when you come in two, three days prior to the event, there's nothing you're changing there. It's more about really getting them fired up and insightful and... um, motivated in a deeper sense for the battle that they were about to put their body through from vale i went to boulder for a couple days and spent some time with friends and did some like i said long runs and and some swimming and i uh, continued to train all the while wondering um, what my ultraman fate will bring And so then last week, I went to Snow Basin, Utah, for an event called 29029 Everest Challenge. And what you do is you ascend a mountain, you go straight up a mountain, 2,300 feet in 2.3 miles with some really steep sections, like 35 to 45% steep, and some flatter sections, not necessarily flat, but some less steep sections. And you take the gondola back down and you do that 13 times and you've ascended the uh, elevation gain of what Everest is, 29,029 feet. And let's say in this case, if you did nine times, you did Denali and so forth. So there's a variety of awards and a variety of accomplishments within that. And it was sort of cool to watch this event. And it is an ultra-endurance event because it takes people... 33 to 36 hours to complete this straight through the night continuously hiking because it is at altitude it is that difficult and eventually you know each ascent takes an hour and a half to two hours um, including the gondola ride down but eventually that is a huge wear and tear on your body not because you're skipping the downhills but just because you're tired from being on your legs doing something that long and again I used it as an opportunity to do enough ascents enough time on my legs to again do a 10 to 11 hour event it fit in my theme for the year the 100k run the Ironman Attilo and now Everest challenge which was uh, also ascending enough times for that 10 to 11 hour event which was eight times And then, uh, yeah, so I was there and I'm working with them with regards to their ultra endurance events. And I did some speaking engagements and I also ran a round table there with a variety of other coaches and athletes. And so that was very informative, but it was really fun. And the reason I say that is because there were very many um, ultra endurance beginners there. And what was really nice about that was that it was an opportunity to not only work with complete newbies in the ultra endurance world, but also while I was hiking to spend some time with people that I've never met, never seen before and learn more about them. And when you're outside hiking for an hour or two and you have nowhere to be and no deadlines and no um, family obligations and soccer games and you know projects due and phone ringing and so forth, It's really nice to connect with people on a truly human way. And it was nice. It was a very meaningful and um, impactful weekend of just extending oneself to really dive into getting to know other people. And um, I would absolutely recommend it. And it was a really fun event, one that you can recover from very quickly. Because again, you're not running downhill. You're only going uphill and there's a lot of camaraderie and getting to know new people and it was again very worthwhile and those guys put on a very very high class event it was the only the second of their events Stratton Mountain in Vermont was their first and they're going to do a lot more so take a look and check them out in case you're interested in something like that it's truly an endurance an ultra endurance challenge that so many of us could take on as our first sort of um, event a lot of people there were doing their first Ironman or first 50 miler or even Ultraman and the interesting thing is they were doing that in order to again prep their body and their mind for doing something continuously for 20 30 36 hours was the cutoff and so just being awake that long going through the night that long and prepping like that so it was really remarkable and exciting to watch that then i was home for 48 hours and i got on a plane yesterday and woke up this morning in stockholm sweden and i'm getting ready for um on monday so to break the suspense i also got word from ultraman that it is full and i will not be doing ultraman this year so on the one hand it's a bummer and i was really looking forward to doing that event But on the other hand, I also know that life presents too many opportunities and other avenues and in hindsight, I know I will look back and say this was meant to be, Um, that this year was not meant to be my year for Ultraman. And so I am going to build up some really good trail running legs and I'm looking forward to doing a seven-day stage race in New Zealand in March as part of the racing for the planet and for desert series not like some of my athletes are doing but more to do something in that corner of the world that I've never been to and running 250 kilometers 160 miles through territory like South Island New Zealand is a place I will never have an opportunity to get to like that and running through it just with a pack on your back and experiencing nature and The solitude of it and the uh, beauty of it in its rawest form will be a very, very exciting challenge. And I look forward to that too. Um, So again, one opportunity went away, but the other presented itself. And with my Miwok entry um, and completion, I will put in for the Western States lottery in December. So maybe that will present itself. And then this guy turns 50 next year, according to Iron Man age. So, you know, maybe there's a uh, Kona interest. Not right now there isn't, but maybe by next year there's a Kona interest to do it in the 50 to 55 age group. I can't believe I'm saying that. So that's the current state of affairs. And um, I know I was talking a lot about myself there, Um, but hopefully there was some tidbits in there that you all can use and apply. I have um, a few other things. I've noticed from my athletes lately, and I have a variety of new ones, that based off their lunches and their breakfasts and what I can imagine they're doing for dinner, that my athletes aren't eating enough. And I have spoken to my better half, who's a nutritionist, and she has also noticed that most of her clients, the problem is not eating too much. Most of her clients eat too little. So I want to remind you all that we all have a minimum burn rate, right? Our metabolic rate. But then when we're training like this and taking on extra volume and extra training hours, we need to keep the body fueled in between those workouts, let alone during the workouts, and we talk about that plenty in between those workouts so that the metabolism and the body has enough fuel and energy and nutrients and quality components in order to rebuild and recover and come back stronger and continue to get fitter and I'm surprised how few how little athletes in this endurance and ultra endurance spectrum are eating now as a guideline or as a suggestion or as an idea Right, we're about in the 2,000 to 2,400 calorie minimum per day range as a um, regular walking around human being in this country, um, if you're of average height and so forth. But now you throw in this training, and you will need six to eight hundred to a thousand calories more a day. So just because your body is constantly working and just because it's not exercising doesn't mean it's not still working to recover, rebuild, prepare for the next session, longer weekends, bigger training coming up. This is not a weight loss program that you are in. This is a training program and you need to fuel that body for what it needs. So keep that in mind. So what I just said is an additional 1,000 calories on top of the 2,000, let's say for a woman that is lighter and smaller, right? So her 1,800 to 2,000 a day needs go to 28 to 3,000 a day. Yes. I eat about 4,000 to 4,800 calories a day. Constantly, never less than that, but quite frequently more than that. Five to six thousand calories a day on the bigger training weekends and so forth. I eat all the time, and I know it's annoying to be constantly eating or thinking about food. And I'm not hungry that I'm thinking about food, but I eat, I fuel. I fuel after a workout, I fuel before a workout, I fuel in the main meals of the day, I snack. And then I fuel during, right? And yes, those um, 4,000 to 4,800 calories a day includes the training time, right? So my hour and a half run is, let's say, 1,100 calorie burn. And then my swim is another 800 to 1,000 calories, right? So you can see how it works out. But yeah, for many of you, you're training a 1,000 calorie kilojoule burn rate. Right? So you need to add those back in as well because you're not replenishing one-to-one while you're training. And a lot of people are surprised how low their energy is or how they're crashing or that they bunk later in their workouts. And it's just an accumulation of lack of calories. So keep that in mind. Please look at this and let me know of questions if you're wondering what what you might be off on. And not, not, not talking about the nutrients itself, with the macronutrients, but what you might be off on with regards to how much in volume you're actually eating. And you need to be a pretty tiny person to think that you don't need, at least when you're doing ultra endurance training and endurance training, not in general, um, at least 2,500 to 3,000 calories a day, minimum. And I see people having a breakfast for five to 600, a lunch for five to 600. Okay, now we're at 1,200 even if they snack for another 500 in between the, during the day. Now they're at 1,700. So you're telling me, and you probably they're usually also eating a five 600 calorie dinner. So that, that means that there are 2,300 to 2,400 calories a day, not counting that they're endurance training athletes. So now they're eating the same as the regular person who doesn't do any of this. And of course, you're going to run out of energy over multiple days, multiple weeks, multiple sessions. You will be done with absorbing the training you're doing. So you need to eat a bigger breakfast and a little bit bigger lunch and snack a little bit more and a little bit bigger dinner. Not one meal, that's crazy, but just up all of it ever so gently. And notice how you have more energy for workouts and not necessarily the next one, but over a longer term trend of 5 to 10 to 14 days. What I've noticed in listening to this recording so far is that I have different mic levels. And I hope you can understand because I've been on the road a lot. And so I'm traveling with a mic, sometimes in my car, sometimes in a hotel room, like currently. And so I apologize that for that in advance. I also noticed in listening to it um, that my voice gets quite monotonous in there sometimes. So again, I apologize for that. This week has been sort of, or this episode as well as the last 10, 12 days have been sort of, um, again, different environments. But I wanted to make sure I got out a podcast. And some might ask why. Why is it so important Um, Well, one, because I believe in consistency, (laughs) that's my whole (laughs) principle with regards to my training and my coaching in that consistency will lead to success, not necessarily the best training, but the best overall consistent training. And the podcast is part of that, Um, the opportunity to continue to share insights and updates and knowledge and in some shape or form, be helpful. I had a uh, a presentation a couple of days ago that I called in for um, in order to do it because again I was traveling, and it was on a conference call with many people, and they asked me um, what are some of the things, or what's your main approach to helping people get fitter, and so forth, and you know it ended up being a discussion around. As a coach, it's my job, it's my responsibility, it's my mission to help people and to somehow take the knowledge, the good fortune, the coaching that I've received over many years, the people that have come in and out of my lives, my lives, my life, and shared knowledge with me and shared insights with me and just gave unconditionally, that allowed me to be a sponge in a world of endurance and training and fitness and even be around some amazing ultra endurance athletes but also athletes whether that's via olympic games whether that's via having done kona 13 or so on times whether that's being around some very elite athletes over the years in the ultra running community, some of the grandfathers of them all and grandmothers of them all, (laughs) having the good fortune to train with them when I was younger. And um, I would say in many respects, way more naive and, but always curious, always willing to have a conversation, always willing to strike a chord on a human level with others, which I didn't even know what that meant back then. (laughs) But um, sort of observing not being too not trampling my way into the situation but being consistent and being steady in my energy in the training with them and over time them noticing those elite performers those way more advanced and knowledgeable performers noticing that this guy is uh is going to stick around and not because of performance, not because I was some elite performer, but because I was willing to just silently observe and learn. And then eventually when the time was right, strike a chord with regards to conversation and in depth and be around while they were having deeper conversations with people they are already um, well familiar with and trusted with. And these people range across all spectrums of life. And it's and so I should I stutter because I'm trying to think of a good um, example of people. I would say the Mark Allens of the world. I would say the Dave Scotts of the world. I would even say the Mark Montgomerys of the world, and the Paul Lundgrens, some of the original people in the sport of triathlon. I would say the Anne Tracens of the world. Um, the basically most successful f- successful female ultra runner um, up until this point. And now there's a huge crop of unbelievable young uh, female ultra runners coming up. But she was really the first with regards to her performances at Leadville and Western States. And so, you know, being around these people and training with these people and training with the Gordo Burns and the Scott Molinas and you know, a lot of, and the Wendy Ingrams and the Chris Lietos and, you know, uh, that's all triathlon specific, but over the years, just being introduced to many of their friends and many people they trained with and their coaches with regards to, um, USA cycling and elite, elite performers there to boarding school, um, friends and, um, Athletes that I knew when I was growing up in Germany that be, went on to become elite performers now, uh, pro cyclists, things like that. So in general, I, it's not a question of name dropping. It's just a question of thanking and realizing that those people that in their indirect way brushed off, brushed <laughs> brushed off their shoulder with so much knowledge that fell on me. And I love sharing it. And that's what I said the other day on that call is I love helping people um, achieve their goals in a more efficient manner. And that is because we're all busy with our time with other things and family and priorities and life and career and community and other social activities. And they're in their way already giving many, many of my clients are already giving a lot of their time in other ways. And for me to have the opportunity to coach them and work with them to maximize their limited training time to achieve in a more efficient way their outcomes that they're looking for, that gives me great pleasure. That is exciting to me. Um, That we used an hour, hour and a half a day, that we used the 45 minutes that day, that we used that week of travel with planes and so forth to still have an effective chart having having charted an effective course, to still getting fitter despite only 45 minutes a day, despite only 30 minutes a day, despite that travel, despite that project due, despite all those kids' soccer tournaments this weekend and not really having time to get up early, despite being exhausted, despite having other stresses and aspects in our lives that limit our training time despite all that, still progressing forward in fitness and using the tricks and tools of the trade, not shortcuts, but just using time and consistency and past experience and effective use of time to our advantage to still achieve our ultra endurance goals. I mean to think that we're still on a path of success and progression despite 30 45 minute workouts to a 10 11 30 hour event. That is exciting because we use the windows that we can to train. I've talked about this on the podcast before with regards to there's windows, well there'll be more hours, but for now the window is very cl- closed or narrowly open and We'll use that time because again, consistent daily aerobic activity. And so helping and this podcast and making a difference even ever so subtly. I mean, and there's, I'm not too worried about plenty of people, whether it's tuning out or feeling that a lot of the things that I share are um, not necessarily applicable to them. That's totally fine if it's applicable to one person or helps one person or advances one person or prepares one person or fires one person up to make healthier choices or to have an aha moment or to have a better workout or have a better outcome or have the ability to get out the door and get that extra workout done or complete those intervals a little bit better. Well, my work here and my joy on this podcast continues on because I get too much feedback from so many of you that it is actually doing that and I love that and those of you that send the notes those of you that send the emails those of you that actually have come up to me and said thank you it's incredibly rewarding and it's humbling too to think that I could be at an event and somebody walks up and says yeah I listened to your podcast and I really like it and I appreciate it and thank you for doing it and I'm often at a, time, at, at a loss of words to think that there's people I don't know that actually really listen to this and appreciate this. And I know it sounds a little bit of a um, you know a humble brag, as my kids would say, but I, I say that genuinely, that it is somewhat uh, surprising and flattering. And I'm left with a loss of words sometimes that there's people I have an impact on like that so anyway thank you of course as always thank you thank you thank you thank you all right so what are we going to talk about this week well I talk about a variety of different topics and again I apologize if some of them sound sort of bland but I talk about um volume coaching and why volume allows for different aspects other than fitness to really take place I once again talk about understanding what easy is, how easy easy needs to be, the effects of easy, and that in many cases, easy is a feeling, and easy is a sensation, and not a number, not a value, not a pace, and easy is basically a description of the effort you need to do in order to recover effectively to do the next work interval. Um, to recover effectively to do the next session, to do the next output, to do the next deliberate outcome to the best of your ability. Sometimes that means going really easy. Sometimes that means walking. Sometimes that means stopping. Sometimes that means spinning along with a little bit of wattage because or a little bit of pedal pressure because you do feel fine and easy can also change in a workout because it will mean for the first few work efforts that you are easily recovering it for lack of no pun intended there easily recovering um but then that you need a bigger level of easy a slower pace maybe a walking pace of easy in order to effectively do the work intervals that come later right? Because you're getting more fatigued. So understanding easy and truly how it is only there to be a prep in order to execute the next work interval. There's times where easy is just the whole ride, the whole run, the whole swim, the whole workout, the whole row, the whole climb, the whole walk. But that's fine. Um, Then that's in the description of the workout and you just go at a sustainable feeling that you describe as easy for that day. So I also talk about um, swim training and what we're looking for in many cases in an ultra endurance perspective and how we can maximize again, our swim time versus the rest of the event, um, in this case, the triathlon. And I also talk about not getting in enough calories. That's important for many of us endurance athletes because I've found that many eat too little. And finally, I also answer some email questions in there and then some random tidbits here and there. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. Again, from Stockholm, Sweden, today is uh, Sunday. I We take the bus. I, we, my teammate and I take the bus this afternoon. It's different this year instead of a ferry and we go to the race start or close to the race start tomorrow morning at uh, 4.45. We take a ferry to the race start, but Um, Yeah, it all starts going a little bit later today. And if you all could see the contrast in weather this year to last year, it's quite remarkable. There's blue skies, temperatures in the mid-70s here in Stockholm. um, And uh, probably upper 60s out on the islands, out on the archipelago. And uh, it'll probably be windier, I'm assuming, also because I've been sailing the last two days uh um, in germany with my brothers on uh, thursday and friday the understanding of the winds out on the baltic sea because we sailed on the baltic sea as well but about uh, 800 kilometers further south (laughs) so um but yeah uh it should be a different experience a different day and i'm not sure how much faster it'll be because of the warmer temperatures But I have a feeling those records from last year with the calmer waters and the uh, steadier day might be broken. So, and then as you all know, with regards to the training, I've talked about that on this podcast and on previous podcasts, but here we are ready to go. And I am expecting a completely different experience as last year and not necessarily that it's going to be faster, but that it's just going to be Um, different because I know what to expect and this has nothing to do with the placing the time and the, um, the partner it has to do with the fact that I know Last year, I had no idea what I was getting ready for and what, how beautiful it is and how challenging it is and how long it lasts and how fatiguing it is and what kind of nutrition and hydration they have on the course and the logistics of these wetsuits that you run in and how it'll feel and how hot it'll get and what to do with your paddles and what it's like swimming in shoes that long and will I get blisters and will this happen? Will that happen? What will happen with the pool buoy? All those things. Well, I'm very much at ease and calm this year because I know it all. And the other thing is, I know I'm not going to win this. Or I also knew that last year, by the way. <laughs> but um, but that it's an experience. It truly is that, an experience. And it's an ultra endurance event, not because it doesn't go through the night. It has the potential to go through the night. Yeah, but, you know, uh, okay, I will correct myself. Based off of my definition, it's an endurance event. Uh, 10 to 11 hours is the perfect endurance event, in my opinion, it's long enough to put you in a place where you have to do the proper training, but it's short enough that you can do it in a day, sunrise to sunset. Um, yeah, so it's it's exciting and it's, it's an experience, like I said, and it's the ones I wish for all my athletes and many of you listening that, and that is just unique endurance activities and experiences that put you in a place where you can accept the raw beauty of everything around you your own health and fitness that you're able to play and apply yourself in a challenging environment to live it to feel it to breathe it to suffer in it to you know truly play at your at your peak fitness but also peak sensations and taking it all in i mean it's a wonderful wonderful feeling and again like i said in the previous part of this podcast, it's part of what I want you all to experience. And it's why I do this as well, in order to um, share with as many as possible these unbelievable adventures that we're capable of as human beings and not always um, measured outcomes. Don't get me wrong, I have done 40 Ironmans, 40 plus Ironmans. Um, I know what it's like to be in the triathlon world and I enjoyed the triathlon world a lot, but in order to now use that fitness and experience all these other amazing, unique, eye-opening, challenging events, that's where I found my true calling and not necessarily in results or ability, but just passion and to share that with others and show others this opportunity and this world that's out there and maximizing our best self like that and experiencing raw nature and our body's abilities in it is fantastic to me and as you can hear i get so excited about that and i'm so thankful for that and um yeah going to take on another one of those things tomorrow where just a week ago i was hiking up a mountain (laughs) for 10 and a lot 10 or 10 hours and 48 minutes so um (laughs) it's just been a, a fun couple of weeks and yeah enjoy the podcast many might wonder why i am such a volume endurance type of coach And what comes with that is not necessarily always the equation of aerobic fitness, the platform, or outstanding conditioning and fitness when it comes to that, when it comes to ultra-endurance events. um, For many athletes, even those that are experienced in the ultra-endurance world, and they're venturing into new adventures or new... um, disciplines, let's say swim, bike, or run, or combo of either or anything like that, what volume really brings about is your ability to learn and to observe and to grow. And when you're doing this type of volume and these type of miles and these type of distances, all those workouts add up to create an incredible knowledge base of yourself Of what you're able to handle, what you're able and capable of riding or running or swimming or a combination of the two. And then throw in that it's also teaching you all the details that you'll need to know for your event or your adventure. From nutrition to hydration to pacing to sensations, how your body is holding up over long distances, saddle, time, etc., achiness, twisted ankles, um, pulled, not pulled in a negative way, but hamstring that is tight and so forth. Anything that puts you in a place that you're more familiar with what, what could be many, many, many outcomes during a day, during an event, during the distance that you're doing. I had an Ironman, uh, Iron I had an Ultraman finisher just a couple of weeks ago in Canada. And his results were faster than he expected He felt better than he thought he would It was an easier event for him than he thought it would be I mean, he just felt overall very, very good And it's not a question of coaching It was just a question of putting him in that environment In that situation over and over again And allowing him, of course, to recover in between And learn And observe and be present enough in his training, and of course due to recovery, that he can continue to simulate and have success with how he's growing in the distances and applying those three, four days in a row. Um, He was one of those athletes where I would do four days in a row of simulation, although the event is only three days. If you have the ability to do a big fourth day, guess what? You're easily ready for three days. And so it's not always an apples to apples comparison or an A plus B equals C scenario of building an aerobic platform and efficiency and all that. It's more about, for many people, not everybody, but for many people, especially those familiar with ultra endurance training and endurance, they have an endurance background, they might not have paid attention before as much to the details and intricacies of how their body responds and how their mind is responding and playing along all those details when it comes to doing things for six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours running, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours cycling, six, seven, eight, nine, ten hours swimming. And so Again, keep in mind, there's so many facets to this endurance and ultra-endurance world. There's never, we never stop learning. We never stop experiencing and going, huh, you know what? That might be applicable for my event. Or I better put that one back into the um, memory banks because I might need that on event day, event week, and so forth. Never, ever stop learning. As I do every week or every day, going through some logs and I am constantly surprised how challenging it is for so many athletes to understand what easy is and how much rest to take between intervals and how to really back off and be fine with walking or easy spinning where you're riding maybe 50 watts, 80 watts on a trainer, or you're just coasting along, or you're walking slash even stopping on a run after an interval. This is about knowing how to go easy so that when you go fast, when you go focused, when you go specific, when you go deliberate, when you are practicing those skills and paces and efforts and intensities, that will truly make you better it's not the easy stuff that makes you better. It's not the junk and garbage time in between intervals that make you better. It's not the junk and garbage time that makes you more confident and um, see or have a better idea of your capabilities and of your fitness and your paces, race paces, wattages, efforts, intervals, speeds, etc. It's only the deliberate, focused, high-intensity, smart, long-lasting intervals that make you stronger. So instead, take more rest, or go easy enough on the easy, or sit out at the wall in the pool and give yourself an extra minute before you start your best effort, or walk after that fast mile, half mile, three-minute interval, 400 meters, whatever it is, you want to ensure that you have the best possible outcome of the workload, not of the easy load. Training isn't about the easy load. The easy load is 100% there so that you can recover and reset your body for the best possible intervals. And so if you have intervals in front of you, let's say cycling, you have uh, five times 20 minutes and they're scattered throughout your five hour bike ride right or your four hour bike ride if they don't have to be in perfect succession sure you might want to do that but then give yourself 10 15 easy minutes or unless it's described five or seven minutes in between that's fine stick to the description but understand that easy is very easy easy is not training, it's easy. There's a reason it's not called training, it's called easy. On running intervals, if you're doing three minutes or four hundreds at the track or mile repeats, go ahead, stop, stop. Ensure that you have the best possible workload intervals, not again, the easy intervals. And in the pool, I see this constantly. In master swimming and most triathletes swimming, they're in a hurry to get in maximum amount of yards. Whereas if you take swimmers, they're sitting on the wall. Hey, extra 30 seconds, extra minute before we do this fast interval? Sure, why not? It ensures the best possible swimming outcome, technique, form, walls, etc. And then a fast time. And when you guys see high wattages, good running paces, and good swim paces that you usually don't hold, that just builds confidence. And the load is the same, whether you do a 80 to 85, maybe even 90% effort on the workload, but only do 70% um, of an effort um, on the easy, well, great. You you can do 85, 90% all day if you're properly rested, let's say, for a race. But wouldn't you be more curious if you rested at 50%, 40%, 30% of max? of best of your effort and then go 95 to 100% on the interval and see a really good time and feel really good and dig really deep and really have that effect. Again, we're back to the same point as always. Easy on easy days, fast on fast days. Or don't go too fast or hard on the easy stuff and compromise your ability to go hard enough on the hard stuff. You want to ensure that you have the best possible workload on the deliberate training and truly recover and keep it easy, very easy. You can't go easy enough. You know, there's no there's rarely a complaint on easy by any coach where they say, Oh, whoa, 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 you're going too slow on the easy. No, that doesn't exist. It's more about that you hear from the coach or from coaches when it's like, why aren't you going harder on the workload? You're capable of X, what are you doing? Well, probably not going easy enough on the recovery. I think many underestimate how important swimming is with regards to multi-sport and triathlon. The beauty of swimming is that from a multi-sport perspective first, is that it allows us to have an aerobic workout, have a hypoxic workout where we're controlling our breathing, we have way less less pounding on the body, and we have the same heart rate stimulus with regards to effort and use of full body muscles and energy recruitment. So great uh, multi-sport cross-training workout, full body workout, less impact on the body. But what many underestimate is that for a triathlon, for example, Getting through the swim efficiently, that it uses very little of your energy for the remaining two legs is key. And in order to get through it that efficiently, using very little energy, little, little tax on the body means that we need to be very fit to swim, not necessarily faster, but once again, using less energy and it costing us very little. So let's say for a half Ironman swim, you don't necessarily swim fast. Let's say a 38, a 40, or a 42. But now you can do that in a calmer, um, more relaxed, as well as less fatiguing way, which allows you to have more performance and energy for the bike and then eventually the run. And usually that displays itself on the bike because... Again, you're fresher out of the swim. It allows you to be fitter, stronger, and show your training and fitness better on the bike. And while you're not laying the hammer down, again, same effort, higher output. Usually come the run in a triathlon, we're equally fatigued, and then it's a different type of fitness that displays itself on the run. But overall, you want to consider Am I really looking to go faster on the swim or am I looking to use less energy? If you're looking to go faster, you're gonna use the same amount of energy, but go faster and buy yourself maybe two, three minutes. Will that cost you on the bike? Will that higher effort on the swim cost you two, three minutes on the bike? Very easily done given that it's a longer period of time, so a smaller percentage of the total bike time. So therefore, might not be worth the cost. Whereas same time on the swim, less effort, could buy you 7 or 8, maybe 10 minutes on the bike. And now you can see how that balance might pay off. So keep that in mind. A lot of my athletes wonder why I have them swim three or 4,000 yards all the time if they're getting ready for a half Ironman or less. Um, even for an Ironman, I want you to be overfit for the event. I want you to reach a level of fitness that it doesn't tax you to swim 2,120 yards, not necessarily that much faster, but maybe a tick faster, but using literally very, maybe half the energy, half the output, half the stress on the body that it used to, that's the goal. Once again this week, I also had athletes that were sick. And I know I repeat a lot of these topics, that's just sort of how all this works, because despite me talking about it on this podcast and despite me talking to the athletes directly via email, they're still missing the point. Always keep in mind that when you are just the slightest bit sick, compromised, fighting something off in your body, the adaptations are from your, in your training, from your training, for your training, are gonna be quite limited if any at all, so you're actually better off resting completely and addressing the sickness, the component that is limiting your training adaptation in the first place. Take some time off. No, I'm not talking two weeks, but if you're sick, it's going to take a day or two or three in order for the body to fight off what it needs to fight off. It can't fight it off and adapt, absorb a training load at the same time. You're wasting your time. A, you're extending the length of the time it takes to fight off the sickness that is in your body. And B, you're not absorbing and adapting the training that you're doing. So you're prolonging this entire process. Don't be afraid to take time off, it's okay. You can build up quickly. Fitness again quickly, especially once you're healthy. It's the frustration of carrying sickness for many weeks, many days, that you're then compromising your ability to actually train effectively, and then you're losing even more time. Keep that in mind. And along the lines of being sick, I'm constantly surprised with how little rest and easy days athletes want to take I was going to say easy athletes but how many little rest days and easy days athletes want to take you need the easy days you need the rest days we all take them there's higher highs in your training then there's a deliberate outcome you can go stronger better faster um smarter when you are fresh and you can absorb the training and you can hit a new level we've talked about this Going too easy on going too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days. Don't get stuck in the gray zone. Keep that in mind. Trust in your abilities, trust in your training, trust in your consistency. Be confident in your ability that an off day is only going to help you. And I always get this bogus excuse or bogus comment of. I just feel better when I do a little something. Or when I come back from a rest day, I always feel off and it takes me a day or two to get back into my rhythm. Yeah, that's called getting back into a state of just general fatigue. And if you're feeling off because of a rest day, that means you probably needed more rest days because your body has not reset yet. And so it's stuck in no man's land between adaptation and recovery. So, please understand that easy days are totally okay. It's not a question of training harder, it's a question of training smarter. All right, let's jump into some podcast questions here. Um these are the ones I've re- received directly in email. I have a few others that have sort of come up on the side but that I want to dive into anyway. Hi, Chris, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and love it. Thank you. Even though I'm a short distance triathlete, I still find your coaching tips super useful and I also find them useful for my career mindset too. That's awesome. I love to hear that because I believe what we learn in this athletic world can definitely be applied in so many aspects of our life and our, with our coworkers, with our family, with our loved ones, with our superiors with our direct reports, with our teammates, things like that. My question is not about me exactly, but it's how I can best support my partner. Here we go, I love this. He's qualified for Kona for the first time. I'm so proud of him. There are less than two months to go. Well, she sent this a little bit over a week ago. Training is really r- ramping up. He has an excellent coach, good. He's very diligent, consistent, and methodical athlete. I know he's sticking to his training plan exactly. However, I can see he's starting to hit a wall mentally and physically. That's one bullet point right there that I want to address. You often talk about the need for athletes to balance their training and family life. So here are some questions from the other side of the fence. In your experience, what are the best things your partner and family have done to help you on your road to success? Mm. That's a very good question. How can partners help their athletes succeed? Okay, I am going to answer this in different ways. I want to answer the first part of how I can see he's starting to hit a wall mentally and physically. I've talked about this before. When we qualify for Kona, usually um, athletes have to qualify for an at a, for an Ironman at an Ironman prior and so what happens is the spring and early summer is spent already ramping up some big training in order to qualify for Kona or to ensure that they are going to qualify for Kona so they might not be at their sharpest or their best possible outcome but they're still training at a high level then they qualify for Kona take maybe a week or two off because it's midsummer or Late spring and Kona is coming up and you want to do better. And the danger is you jump back into the training a little bit too quickly. Not sure what the coach had him do or uh, had him do, yes. And um, so now this September is always the hardest month for Kona athletes. Um, Those that ramp it properly, they should feel their fittest, freshest, best At this time of year now that's very very hard to do and i've made this mistake many times in the 12 to 13 konas of mine maybe even 14 i don't remember but the point is it's hard and at this time of year we get cranky and tired and we're in a constant state of fatigue if those training cycles and that build up wasn't done specifically with the breaks and the deliberate aspect of knowing that this month of September is coming. It's hard, I've had to work backward from it with regards to my own training plan and know that I wanna be impatient in August with my training, that I'm impatient, that I haven't done enough so that I can still build into late August and early September versus feeling fit in August and then not being able to hold on to it in September. And then the questions and the, the fatigue really starts to wear in. So keep that in mind there with regards to this question. Um, how is the season built? And if for next year he plans to do it again, maybe think about how there's a different progression or a longer gap in between Ironmans with regards to vacation or time off and full recovery. So the questions, excuse me, that come up, what are the best things your partner and your family have done to help you on your road to success? Well, as you might've heard from a few weeks ago, my partner has been able to call BS on me when I um, start shifting my priorities or not keeping the bigger picture in mind properly. Um, A few weeks ago, same thing, where it was about her subtly letting me know that I'm taking it, I'm going over the edge with regards to looking for something that wasn't the intended outcome and therefore creating new expectations versus the reality I was in. Reality versus expectations, what we've talked about here on the podcast a few times, but going through it live was interesting. I changed my expectations because the reality that I was training in, I felt pretty good getting ready for Ironman Canada. And so I started changing my expectations of why I wanted the outcome to be. Well, maybe I can do this. So therefore, I need to train more like this. No, that was not the desired outcome. And luckily, my partner was, is aware of that with me and can make those subtle jabs or nudges to let me know you know what you're you're being sort of (laughs) self-centered especially with me this is my case I'm just talking about my case you're being sort of self-absorbed self-centered and thinking of this training and taking yourself way too seriously again not something I haven't done frequently in the past trust me and reminding me in one of many ways that you know, remember what the desired outcome is and stay specific to that. Don't create a big cloud of other goals and desires around that. So to get back to your question and answer it in the best way I can, they've been always been super supportive, super supportive, but they also know to call me out that when things get out of balance and to remind me that family and The three-legged stool in general needs to be in balance. Otherwise, my performance racing will not be good anyways. I will feel guilty in my training that I'm not there for my kids and my family or for my work. I will be at work thinking about my family and my training. And when I'm with my family and supposed to be focused on them, my mind is going to my training and my work because everything is incomplete. I'm doing everything at 60%. So I've also been a very strong proponent on this podcast about talking and communicating with your family and letting them know what this training phase is. This is a big training phase. This is the outcome, and this is how I might be feeling or how I might be dropping the ball on stuff. And help me, when I drop the ball, recognize that. So it's a two-way street. That's support towards success knowing that they have my back but also knowing that they will be eyes and ears for me when I get sort of beyond my britches how can partners help their athletes to succeed the cliche answer there is to say well you know just be available and you know be that backbone and be that support and so forth in my opinion one side is getting burned and eating at, it, at them, eating at themselves inside a little bit when it's those cliche comments. I think athlete, uh, partners can help their athletes succeed by keeping them grounded, by keeping them from not getting too serious about their event, about their outcome. And what I mean by that is the more we focus on one thing, the more other things drop off, right? We know that, that's obvious. But we also put too much pressure on ourselves because of that one thing and we know the other things are falling off. We sense that, we observe that. And so then the pressure mounts and builds and therefore now nerves and um, questions limit our ability to execute effectively for the race on race day. And so it's that constant back and forth that partners um, wives, husbands, even kids and family members have the ability to keep things um, balanced. We all went pro in something other than the sport we're doing. And so keeping that in mind, keeping that conversation going, keeping that discussion going with a with regards do you have your priorities straight? Are you still prep on your desired outcome? What is your desired outcome? How do you see yourself executing that and training for it? Well, then if you are doing that, why are you also doing this? What does your coach said? Are you eating right? Are you sleeping right? Are you being healthy? Are you taking care of it all? And that's what a, a true um, partner and support system looks like. All right, last email question for this week. Hi, Chris, I enjoy and learn a ton from your weekly word podcast. Thank you. I had a question for you in regards to weight loss in ultra events. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh, I just talked about eating enough. I've done a handful of ultra events, but during the longest running events I've done, 50 miler and mountain 36 miler, i've not finished strong i also i've also lost what i would consider to be a significant amount of weight i weigh 168 and lose 9 to 10 pounds after slash during the event is this normal what's the fix just drinking more fluids anything else i should be considering well This is interesting because it could be a variety of things. It's hard to say that it's all fluids. In most cases, it is most more fluids. But in the case of a good nutrition and hydration plan, it's what I've talked about in the past. We want to keep that bathtub full. So the night before we fill the bathtub of our stomach, of our glycogen stores, of our body, of our electrolytes, of our minerals, of our hydration, of in general, just as we close our eyes and envision ourselves being topped off, our fuel tank is full. Not that we overate and then it's spilling over, not that we need to carbo load and it's spilling over, but that we're just topped off. Then in, for breakfast, because of during the night, we burn some of that off and some of that is being used. We top it off again. We want that bathtub to be filled to the brim or that fuel tank to be filled to the brim. And then when the event starts, like a 50-miler or a mountain 36-miler, is probably 10 to 11 to 13 hours of moving. It requires steady fueling and hydration so that the bathtub, the fuel tank doesn't empty completely, but ever so gradually decreases its volume. Nothing too sudden and nothing to getting too empty too quickly. Right. And so the, I would wonder if you're losing that much weight, which is about five um, percent, it's something is off, something is amiss with regards to what you're putting in in order to keep that um, bathtub fuel tank somewhat filled up, enough calories and so forth. The other thing to consider is maybe the calories that you're eating, your body is not absorbing. And that's something from a nutritionist question that you would want to figure out. A lot of us, a lot of us, eat a variety of different foods, but our body doesn't absorb those macronutrients or micronutrients or aminos or so forth. And so working and understanding that just because we're eating it, but our body doesn't process it and just passes it and flushes it out again means that we're still at a deficit. So you might want to look into if your body's actually absorbing the calories and the type of calories that you're putting in during these events. On something like this, I would surely want to ask you what you're eating and how much you're eating. I've done a handful of ultra endurance events, but I've not finished strong. The finishing strong is also a combination of a fitness question. What are we doing in our training in combination with the fueling that you talk of? So there's a variety of things in there in order to answer that better. But I would not necessarily look at one cause, fluids. I would look at the bigger picture with your general diet. Are you eating enough calories, what I talked about earlier? Are you fueling enough prior and during with fuel? Are you maintaining those levels well enough? And then I would want to look at your training in general, that you're able to do the last four hours of an eight-hour run better than the first four hours, that your energy levels do stay up. I talked a lot to a lot of people this weekend in, um, what was I, Snow Basin, about how's your energy? And they all just rolled their eyes at me more, of course we're tired, and I didn't ask, are you tired I had said how's your energy what I wanted to see is despite the fatigue and the legs from going uphill how alert are we how are our energy on our ability to communicate and think and you know process and talk with uh, and, and, and take it all in that's energy And when you see that in long training runs fall off, something's off. You want to be able to maintain through six, seven, eight hours on a training run the same energy as when you started. Sure, plenty of fatigue and achiness and tiredness like that. But energy levels you should be able to maintain with good fluids and fuel. So the other component there to keep in mind with regards to Uh, running out of fitness almost going slow creates a platform to allow you to go faster for longer right anybody can run fast anybody can run fast for a mile a half a mile once around the track the question we're doing with endurance training is to increase how long you can go fast and relatively fast for the event you're getting ready for. You don't need to run six-minute miles for 50 miles because A, that's not what you're getting ready for, and B, that's not realistic. If you're getting ready for a 50-mile event, it's about not slowing down from 11 or 12-minute miles for a long time. So going slow creates a platform aerobic platform right to allow you to go faster for longer it's just a question of how long we're maintaining our speed and so when you're training for an ultra endurance event again besides what I talked about with energy you also want to consider is my training allowing me to maintain speeds for a long period of time and if it's not It's something on the back end with my endurance and my timing of workouts and my ability to maintain form, footwork, posture late to still maintain speed and um, pace. So I hope that answers that one. And uh, yeah, we'll dive into the next topic. Well, that wraps up this episode, 81. And I hope you enjoyed some of the tidbits that we talked about there. I look forward to reporting back after Otillo, um, these next 36 to 48 hours. I am home from a lot of travel with no more travel the rest of September. Today is September 2nd, Um, my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, dad. (laughs) And um, as well as my niece's birthday. Happy birthday, Charlotte. But also, I will be home all of September and catch up on work and thoughts and life, some reading, some input, and uh, yeah, and then I head to Kona for that whole experience, that annual experience with a variety of athletes, one, two, three, four, five, four this year, Uh, four. Well, um, I think the fifth one is still deciding. Um, And I know that sounds weird, but I'll explain that some other time. And uh, yeah, so... Looking forward to responding to a lot of emails and updates I've gotten and questions, but also sharing more about this whole training thing. I have some topics that I want to get into in depth going forward, like life fatigue and execution and um, a variety of other topics. I'm actually at Attilo with um, not only the founder and the, the main guy of Precision Hydration, who I had on the podcast a couple of months ago, you all remember, Andy. But his um, race partner is Paul Newsom, the um, head of Swim Smooth. And many of my athletes know Swim Smooth with regards to a great online site to help highlight via video avatar and video footage and drills and insight and inputs of swimming. And then he has an app and a variety of ways to work on improving your swimming. So I'm going to try to catch up with Paul on the uh, ferry and on the bus and at meals. And hopefully I'll have him on the podcast and continue to follow through on what I've talked about for probably over a year now on the podcast on that swimming Uh, series because I don't think it can be covered in one podcast I'd love to probably do like a two or three part series with regards to swim training swim technique um, and what this is all about because at the end of the day it's sort of my best event of all the different endurance events although over the years I've gotten further and further away from calling it that and really enjoying the running aspect but I think there's a lot of contributions still to be made with regards to swimming and so I look forward to getting that to all of you so all right have a great week everybody it's Sunday September 2nd Um, I hope to report back in on Friday next week I think that would be the uh, 7th September 7th and um, with episode 82 and uh, yeah have a great week continue to train consistently and getting fitter in a healthy sustainable manner And take good care of that body of yours, that incredible, unique engine and gift we have called our body, our human body. And it allows us to do all this, what we want to do and still achieve to do and, you know, are capable of doing. So have a great week.